welcome to episode 190 of Board Game Blitz, a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to troubleshoot why all of your equipment is suddenly not working in the middle of a live stream. Speaking of which, we're streaming this recording session live on our Twitch channel, so you may hear us chatting with our viewers throughout the episode. Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Gray Fox Games. This week, we're talking about games that don't get talked about enough. First, we discuss a couple games we played recently, My First Adventure, Journey to Ochre Land and Discovering Atlantis, and Okanagan Valley of the Lakes. Then, we talk about games that we love but nobody else is talking about. And now, here are your hosts, Ambi and Crystal. Recently, I haven't played that many new games, but I got a couple of new game books for my kids in the My First Adventure series. So I got My First Adventure Journey to Ogreland and My First Adventure Discovering Atlantis. I'm not sure if I've talked about it on the podcast before, but I've talked about it in lots of YouTube videos. My First Adventure Finding the Dragon was the first one in the series, and it's a choose-your-own-adventure role-playing book for kids, like as young as toddlers. <laughs> my kids really love it. I'll link the YouTube overview video that I have of it in the show notes but the finding the dragon one which is the only one available in the U.S. um, is like they've read it so many times it's all beat up falling apart and they still like it so I've been wanting to get other ones in the series because I think originally they were in French and then there's some in the UK that have been translated but like they haven't been brought over to the U.S. and so I got tired of waiting because I'm not sure if they ever will be brought over to the U.S. And I was actually was able to order a couple of these off of Zatu Games, Z-A-T-U Games, which is... I've a, used that site before to uh, order stuff from overseas. Yeah, yeah. They, that's, a, that's a decent site if you want to get games from Europe yeah. that aren't coming to the States. Yeah, so yeah, I wanted to mention that in case you're like me and want to get something that's, that's in the UK that's not in the States, but they shipped the US. So I was like, ooh, and I also got some jigsaw puzzles that aren't in the US either. So I got the My First Adventure Journey to Ogreland and Discovering Atlantis, which are the two ones they have, and gave it to my kids as early birthday presents because they found out what was in the box and then were like, oh, let's open it. I want to read it now. (laughs) I was planning on giving it to them for the birthday, but oh well. (laughs) Yeah, so now we've read it like six times each or something because we keep reading them for their bedtime stories. So the way these books work, they're they're all similar. They're a choose-your-own-adventure, and it has three flaps on each page, kind of like I had like little book toy art of dinosaurs or animals before that had like the head, the body, and the tail as different sections. And then you flip through it and make your own little jumbled dinosaur animal. Do you know what I'm talking about? It was like three sections you flip through. So it looks kind of like that on each page. So there's a page, it tells you something that happens. And then you flip through and you choose one of three choices. And so it's like, do you want to do this, this, or this? And then you flip the pages depending on what you pick. And then there are these wheels that give you different items. So if you do something, you might get an item or you might not. And so you've turned the wheel, there's different colored wheels to the item. Later on in the book, there's like six whole page choices. So like a big page and then the choices of each page. So there's the first three where you can have the option of getting three items so you can get them or not. The second half of the book, there's the pages that can use the items. So it's like the three choices are like things that are the different items that you could have gotten. It's like if you got a light in one of the things and something else is, oh, do you want to like use a light to do something? And so if you pick that and you don't have the item, then you get hurt or you like you don't get the good thing. <laughs> but if you do have the item, then you get the good thing. And like getting three of the good thing or not getting hurt at all lets you win 
you get the happy ending and otherwise you get a less happy ending. So like all of these work the same way. <laughs> they just have different stories. Finding the dragon is about finding a dragon and befriending it. A journey to Ochreland is about you're going through a valley and trying to solve a drought. And so you're like finding different spirits to help you get water back. And then discovering Atlantis is about your discovering Atlantis and trying to find treasure. In Finding the Dragon and Journey to Ogreland, you actually play as characters. But in Discovering Atlantis, you're a submarine. <laughs> so like you get to choose also one of three characters to be and they have different abilities. And so in Atlantis, it's kind of weird because you're a submarine. And then instead of getting items, you're upgrading your submarine. Sometimes like the choices don't make much sense, but my kids still like it making the choices and I guess so far they've read both of them the same amount so I'm not sure which they like better they, ha they haven't read Finding the Dragons since getting these new ones because I think they like new things and they get excited about that but um, they do like both of it and I think they just like the system in general I think personally I like Finding the Dragon the best I still haven't read all of them of these two but Journey to Ochreland had some there were some typos in it I think one of them it said the white disc instead of the blue disc <laughs> and some of the wording was kind of weird. I think also one of them had a bad word in it. I'm not sure which one it was. So I just skipped over that when I was reading it to my kids because they can't read yet. And then Discovering Atlantis may be a little scary because it's darker and there's a big kraken. So I don't know. I mean, my kids aren't scared by it. My kids are weird. They... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes, one of your boys is obsessed with skeletons. Yeah, yeah, he likes so. traditionally scary things, so. And I did hear from some other parents that their kids got scared by the Finding the Dragon one, and that one's like, because the dragon does scary things, because they like wake up and breathe fire, but then you block it. So I think Journey to Ochreland might be the least scary of, of the three. <laughs> but overall, they're not super scary stories. And so I really like the system. And my kids really like it too. They like picking the choices and you can use them for as kids that can't read or even if they can't talk, they can point to things if they understand what you're saying. And you, you say like, oh, which one do you want? This, this or this? And they can point to it. So very young kids can play slash read through these stories. So yeah, I really like my first adventure series for kids. And if you want the other ones, you can get them off Zatu Games or some other place that ships to the US. Or if you live not in the US, if you lived in the UK or somewhere, you can get those easier. Well, those sound pretty cool. And uh, if I had, you know, young kiddos in my life, I mean, how old do you think in your estimation, obviously, mm -hmm. this is personal opinion, and all kids are different. Yeah. So all that taken into account, what would you say thereabouts is like the top end of the age range for these books? I'm not sure, but like people have said their kids who are like eight still love it. So okay. maybe like nine or 10. I don't know. Well, shoot, shoot. Maybe I <laughs> yeah. should get them for my nephews then because maybe they would both really enjoy them. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I like looking, <laughs> I like looking through it, but then like the replayability isn't as high for me. But I still want to see like all the endings because that's what I do with choose your own adventure things. But I still haven't seen all the endings of these new ones yet. But like once I do that, then I get kind of tired of it. But yeah, my kids just do the same thing over and over again and they're fine with that. So I, as people get older, they get more tired of that. But I'm not sure at what age kids get tired of it. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm, I'm happy to hear about them. Mm-hmm. 
So y'all have heard me talk about my friend Kathy a whole bunch. She is one of my besties and one of my favorite people to play board games with. And she recently brought a game over to my house that I had never heard of before. It apparently came out around six or seven years ago. And I don't know how big of a splash it made when it was published, but it flew under my radar apparently. And that is called Okanagan Valley of the Lakes. And I'm going to preface this review by saying I'm going to review the game first, and then I'm going to go on a rant after I review the game that is not related to the gameplay at all, but is, I think, something important to discuss in relation to this game and the publishing of board games in general. So I'm going to hold that till the end. I'm just going to talk about the gameplay first, and then we'll, we'll get into the rant later. So Okanagan Valley of the Lakes is published by Matigo, designed by Emmanuel Ornella. Truthfully, if you were to see this on a table, it very much resembles Carcassonne. And it was, as the designer has admitted, partially inspired by Carcassonne. Also inspired by Walnut Grove, which is a game I have not played, so I can't really make any direct comparisons there. But it is a tile-laying game where instead of meeples like you do in Carcassonne, you have structures. And on your turn, you lay out a tile, and then you must place a structure onto that tile. And similar to Carcassonne, you can place it into different areas of the tile. But the way this game works is you're placing it either solely in a single area or in between two areas or in the crux of multiple areas. And the different structures are worth varying amounts of influence. I don't remember, influence is probably the wrong word, but basically more power some of them are worth. And anytime via the placement of a tile, an area is completely closed off, which again, a concept familiar to those of you who know Carcassonne, then that area will score. All of the areas on these tiles have little icons in them. And those icons are things like, well, they're called reward tokens, but they have resources on them like fish or fruit or wood or stone. And there are also little explorers on some of them as well. And so whatever tokens are available in the closed off land space get divvied up between the people who have influence in that area. Whoever has the most influence gets to pick first. Whoever has the least influence actually gets to take a bonus tile from outside of the board that will give them a special ability. And then they may get some tokens as well, but the way the things get divvied up is kind of variable. So we're, we're not, not going to get into that too strongly. But basically, both of the players have objective cards that they're working toward, as well as some public objectives. So you're trying to collect all of these tokens. It's set collection. You're trying to make certain sets of certain types of tokens by the end of the game. And you're also collecting gold nugget cards, which are going to be worth points on their own. It's a relatively simple game mechanically. It's kind of like Carcassonne, slightly more to it, I guess. Although with Carcassonne's expansions, you, you can make it more difficult as well. But this is definitely a step up from base game Carcassonne. Carcassonne. <laughs> I was reading in the Twitch chat. Thankfully, Andrea, who is a Canadian, is fixing my pronunciation. It is Okanagan. Getting back to the game, it is fun. I really enjoyed it. I like tile laying games. It's one of my favorite kind of genres of games in general. I've only played it at two players, but I can definitely see how it would scale well to more players. It's fun. If you like games like Carcassonne, it's pretty easy to uh, pick this one up and get it played. And it seems widely available like on a third party market. Pretty cheap too. So if that interests you, maybe look up a copy. But I do want to say, so here comes the rant. 
When I saw that this was based in Canada, I wanted to do a little bit of research. It did not bode well for me that when I looked at the Board Game Geek description of this game, the very first sentence or two sentences of the description by the publisher say, Canada's wealth is waiting for you. The Okanagan Valley with its huge lakes and fertile meadows awaits anyone willing to exploit it. Like, if we're talking about theme in a board game, that's not a way to endear yourself to me by, like, let's exploit the beauty of Canada. <laughs> like, mm -mm. So I did a little bit of research about the Okanagan Valley, and apparently it is a beautiful region that a lot of, like, similarly to a lot of other native lands in Canada and in the United States was eventually, you know, people moved in from outside of the uh, native population to uh, make some changes. And that included, so in 1859, there was a European settlement that was established there by Father Charles Pandosi, and he put an oblate mission there at Okanagan Mission. The reason I'm saying all of this is because I, within the past couple of years, was made aware of the pretty horrible stuff that has happened to Native Americans in Canada over the years as a result of residential schools. Being a American, I had no idea about any of this. Residential schools are a thing that was led by the Oblates, the church in Canada, and Native populations were forced to send their children to these schools. And a lot of really, really horrific things happened at those schools. Things which I'm not going to mention by name because I would need to give a whole bunch of content warnings. So if you can imagine the church and horrible things happening, you're probably thinking in the right direction. The fact that we still have board game publishers who are making games about beautiful regions like this, and I'm not saying that those things specifically happened in the Okanagan region. They may have, I don't know specifically, but I do know they've happened in many other regions in Canada. And I'm really tired of European board game publishers talking about areas of the world in which they don't have knowledge and they are not being respectful of those areas' history. They're ba and like literally in the description, it's saying, let's exploit this land. Like to me, that's dismissive and potentially hurtful and it just could be handled better. Even a note, I looked through the entire rule book there is nothing like even just a note about the history of anything would have been helpful so all of that to say here's the spin to make this all good for y'all there is a podcast that i would highly recommend if you want to learn more about the history of what has happened in Canada. Look up the Spotify original podcast, Stolen Surviving St. Michael's. Content warning, lots of very heavy topics discussed in that podcast, but it is hosted by a woman who is looking into her father and her family's past and learns a lot of really, really uh, troubling things, but also it's kind of a journey of healing for her and her family. And I learned a lot of things about Canada's history that I was unaware of previously. So I've taken this bad thing that made me feel icky today and I'm trying to spin it on let's educate ourselves and learn some stuff because I tend to not know a lot of history about countries outside of the United States. And so I think it's important to mention those kinds of things when I have the opportunity. So that was my rant. <laughs> Matigo, do better, please. <laughs> but I'm glad it got you looking up history and stuff. That's cool. Right? Like, yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> 
So we actually asked our Kofi supporters what topics they wanted to hear us talk about. And I believe in the Twitch chat right now, Scott is the one who suggested the one that we're talking about tonight. It is a topic we've touched on before, but it's been a little while. So we figured this would be a good one to uh, bring back up. And that is games that don't get talked about enough, at least from our point of view. Obviously, Ambie and I are just two people. And so if we think something's not being talked about, that just means we haven't heard people talking about it. <laughs> For all we know, technically, a whole bunch of people could be talking about it and we just haven't heard them. So, you know, obviously take things with a grain of salt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And also, I guess this is a good disclaimer, too. I'm going to talk about games that I've definitely talked about before. So <laughs> yes, we don't count ourselves about... as people. <laughs> yeah, we don't count ourselves. So you're going to hear me talk about the games that I've talked about before that no one else talks about because... I'm the only one talking about them in my world, at least. <laughs> yeah. For me, like, that's part of why I talk about the games is because I don't hear other people talking about it. Like, I've made a lot of content specifically because I haven't seen other content, like, making it. Like, when I, I started doing free print and play games or, like, coverage of print and play games, well, free ones because I, I'm cheap, but, like, just print and play <laughs> in general because, like, I don't see that many people talking about print and play games. And there's so many. And it's like, I didn't know these existed. I was just like clicking through them related stuff on BGG and I'm like wow there's so much why haven't I heard of it yeah. yeah I actually added one I don't do print and play games typically mostly mm -hmm. because I don't own a printer so it'd be yeah, really that difficult makes it hard. to make do print and play <laughs> games but I somebody tweeted or posted on one of the other social media channels I can't keep them all straight now on BGG like this past week and I actually added it to my want to playlist because I wanted to tell you about it literally I, I put it on my list just so I could make sure that you were aware of it. So the game was Utopia Engine, oh, uh, which came out in 2010. Have you played this one, Ambie? Yes, that's one of the first ones I played, actually. it's, it's I figured you probably played it because it's mm. one of the best, apparently, but I yeah. wanted to make sure. Yeah, it was good. So a lot of the print and plays are roll and rights, and I'm not like a big fan of roll and write games. And this one's also roll and write, but it was like more adventure-y too. So it was a pretty long game. So I haven't played it since like the first couple of times I played. But there's also an expansion that I printed out that looks similar called Utopia Engine Beast Hunter. And I haven't Ooh. played that one yet. Okay. Oh, apparently I have a review for it on BGG. <laughs> apparently. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the video. Because I have an overview of it. Yeah. Oh, nice. To be fair, we don't, rem like, literally, we don't remember what we podcasted about a month ago. So, like... It's funny, you, when I used to consume board game content, before I was a content creator, I would hear content creators say things that they had already said almost mm -hmm. verbatim, word for word, in different <laughs> episodes. And I would be like, they've already said that. Why are they repeating themselves? <laughs> and now I get it. You don't have any idea what you've said before. <laughs> I don't know how. Like, your brain disassociates or something. <laughs> And we're probably going to repeat what we said in our earlier um, Overlooked Games episode, too. Very <laughs> much I, so. Well, I remember, like, saying some stuff because, as I was saying, like, I talk about games because I think they haven't been talked about. And that's, like, what I did with 18xx games. But now I think those are being talked about more. So they're not, they're no longer in this category of uh, games that don't get talked about enough, I guess. Yeah, I think <laughs> more people at least are aware of their mm -hmm. existence, even if they still haven't kind of reached peak popularity, right? Yeah, yeah. So like with 18xx games, Splatter games too, I think people are aware of them more. They've heard 
them mentioned it's like heavy games economic game things like people who are into those games talk about 18xx splatter games a lot yeah. yeah so they're they're not really overlooked anymore well i was trying to think of games that i wouldn't mm-hmm. have said in a previous episode or things mm-hmm. like things that have come out in the past few years or ones that i don't think i've mentioned in the past mm-hmm. you and i were talking before we actually got on twitch today mm-hmm. about how it seems like with party games mm-hmm. there's a decent group of kind of perennial favorites that have stood mm-hmm. the test of time codenames is a great example telestration things of that nature but there are a lot of really good party games that come out get real popular for a short amount of time and then kind of disappear completely Mm -hmm. and there are also some party games that i think just never get popular or get as popular as i think they would be and Mm -hmm. that could be the result of a number of things marketing or just who's publishing it or where it gets distributed like obviously i can't (laughs) right like it just could be any number of things and i have a couple on my list Mm -hmm. that nobody talks about one of which is taskmaster the board game which (laughs) ambi and joe sondow in the chat have played with me on stream before so taskmaster the board game is based on the taskmaster game show Mm -hmm. and it's freaking hilarious and fun to play and you don't have to have seen the tv show to play the game i think it helps a little to give you context and also anyone that i get to watch that show gets addicted immediately so be warned but the game is super fun and it makes your friends do silly things and it's great as a party game but i ordered it i think i maybe had to order it from the uk i don't think it's gotten distribution in the states but i think that if they got it distribution here i think it would be really popular The other one that I think hasn't gotten wide popularity is called Oh Really? It's a game where you have to rank cards that are completely unrelated to one another against one another. So you have to say out of these five things, which one is your favorite and which one is your least favorite, but they're not in the same category at all. So you have to say like, which do you like more, baseball or taking a nap? Like those type, like a whole bunch of random stuff that has nothing to do with each other. You put them in order one to five and you do it secretly and all the other players now have to guess what your rankings were. So this is definitely one of those games where you kind of need to know the other players at least a little bit. Although it is kind of fun when you don't know them and you have to try and guess. (laughs) This is perfect for the Cards Against Humanity crowd. And I don't hear anybody talking about it i highly <laughs> recommend it if you want to play one of those games where you're kind of like doing fun stuff with your friends and you want to like poke fun at them or whatever and you want to learn more about them this is one of those great ones for that yeah and and i have a couple party games that i liked or that i still like a lot that i talk i've talked about cross clues a lot but i don't hear <laughs> other people talking about it <laughs> but i think that's just got like there were a lot of party games that came out and it came out like right before the pandemic or something and so it's like that ones that worked better remotely got more popular and cross clues does not work remotely because it's real time (laughs) and so and then stay cool also we've both talked about but i don't think i've really heard it talked about much otherwise i think the the convention where it was released the publisher like did a really good job of getting Mm -hmm. a bunch of content creators to play it at that event Mm -hmm. and so for like a very short amount of time everyone was talking about Uh it and then no one was talking <laughs> about it. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's it's like a weird type of stress maybe because it's like oh yeah. trivia real time so like 
maybe people don't play I like I haven't played it as much I played it when we first got it but then we haven't played it really since so I want to play it again I literally just played it a month ago I don't know how when before that but I played it around uh, 4th of July and I am the worst when I have to tell people to flip the dang timer even when I can see it it doesn't matter if it's hidden or not I it's once I'm focused on the dice my my head refuses to look up at the timer yeah and then an older party game that used to be popular, but like I haven't heard about recently is Word Slam. I was just looking through my collection basically. So Word Slam is in my collection, but like I haven't heard much about it anymore. <laughs> but I think that goes into the category of like older games, games that are older than a few years. Even if they were really good and people talked about them a lot that back then, they don't talk about them as much now, which applies to more than just party games. So like some of my other favorite games are older, like Dungeon Pets is one of my favorite games, but people don't really talk about it anymore because it's in the early 2010 or something <laughs> i don't remember when it came out but yeah. yeah it's like an older game and so there's a lot of new games that people talk about i mean with word slam that game in my estimation is at its best at a convention with mm -hmm. two giant crowds of people across the table from one another like you've got <laughs> one clue giver on each side and then just a mob of people behind them trying to figure out what it is like mm -hmm. i've played it that way at a convention and it's oodles of fun but in a post-pandemic world <laughs> i don't know if i want to do that anymore so yeah, yeah like and that to me is where word slam shines is I, you can play it with a small group, but it the chaos and the it just it's more fun with more people. I guess another game that's on my list that's also um kind of not a pandemic friendly game is Witness, which is like telephone oh. mixed. It's a cooperative like telephone like deduction clue game. So each person gets like a different part of the clue, and then you whisper it to the person next to you, and then they whisper it to the next person. So it involves like whispering in people's ears and stuff. Yeah, when you've talked about this one in the past yeah. I've always been like I don't want to whisper in ears. <laughs> like you don't actually have to whisper you can like talk quietly or like move to a different room or something but have you met is... me have, do you think I'm a quiet person Amby <laughs> <laughs> all right one could do this if you weren't crystal Oh, another category I have on my list, because I just made a list of categories in some games, is uh, children's games because, well, I don't know if I'm just finding more people talking about it now because I'm looking for them more, or if, if there are more people talking about it now, but a lot of times the general board game content and like media stuff is not talking about children's games as much. And like, other than the Kinderspiel, the Giaris, there aren't many like awards for children's games. Like the Dice Tower Awards, they have regular game of the year and stuff, but they don't have children's games category and does bgg have they have family game but not children's game like the golden geek i think yeah i i mean i would guess in both instances because mm -hmm. the the voter bases are less likely to consist of enough people to properly rate them maybe yeah but it's still a bummer right yeah and then also because children grow up quickly i guess so <laughs> it's harder to have like a constant children game stuff but yeah, I, I am finding more places that talk about children's games, probably because I'm looking for them. Like there's some Facebook groups and stuff. So, so now I'm seeing a lot more of that. <laughs> 
a, a children's game that is actually on my list. It's mm-hmm. one that I've technically only played on Board Game Geek. I've never played the physical version. I'm trying to look it up right now, but I know it's listed under a bunch of different names. Hugo is how I know it. Escape from the Hidden Castle is the, I think, original title. It was originally published in 1989, and it is a fun little, very silly game. There's a very tiny amount of skill involved. You're literally just house get or party guests walking in circles around <laughs> a party, trying not to get let the ghost catch you, and you're running in and out of the rooms around mm. the circle to try and hide from the ghost. And the ghost gets faster and faster throughout the course of the game. It is very silly, but very fun. And <laughs> as the people in the Twitch chat are all <laughs> noting, they're all going, Hugo! So it's silly. It's designed by Wolfgang Kramer, though, y'all. It's not like this is a nothing game. I love it. I think it's fun to play with adults who are in the right mindset. You definitely need to know what you're getting into. But we've had a lot of fun playing Hugo in the Blitz Discord. Oh, speaking of children games designed by designers that you know, but <laughs> you haven't heard of the children's games. Did you know that Matt Leacock has designed a children's game? I did not know that. <laughs> what game Neither did I. I haven't played it, but it's a game called Mole Rats in Space for ages 7 plus. And I hadn't heard about it, but I saw it at our airplane museum. So <laughs> we have a family pass to the airplane museum near us. And so they have a gift shop and I was looking at, I like looking at the stuff they have. And sometimes they have puzzles or games or something. And they had mole rats in space. I'm like, oh, I haven't heard of this game. What is it? And I looked at it and it said Matt Lee. I'm like, whoa, what? <laughs> so I guess it's like a cooperative game. Your, your research station has been invaded by snakes and you have to escape the station before your bit or time runs out. I, I, I don't know much about it. Interesting. <laughs> so we've been waxing poetic throughout this episode. <laughs> There's a lot of games that we can name here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a couple different trick-taking games on my list. Mm-hmm. Turn the Tide is a really interesting trick-taking game where you get to play the exact same hand as all of the other players throughout the course of the game. So you get dealt a hand of cards and then that exact hand is what the player next to you will play the following round and the hands just keep getting reset and passed to the next player. So basically everybody gets the same setup at the beginning of each round as someone else from the previous round. So there's less variability in it than most trick-taking games. It's really fun. Another one that I had never heard of until I stumbled across it on BGA was Rage, which we play in the Blitz Discord pretty frequently and I had never heard of before. It's a trick-taking game that can go up to, I want to say, eight players, which is pretty rare. There aren't a ton of trick-taking games that go to that high of a player count and still work well. It will make you mad. <laughs> like that's It's called Rage for a reason, but it's also very fun. <laughs> for my last ones, the category, I guess, is uh, games with anime art. Some of my favorite games that I've mentioned a lot are Tragedy Looper and The Ravens of Three Sahashri. So they're both like pretty unique games. Tragedy Looper is a one versus mini really heavy deduction game themed around time travel and time loops. And The Ravens of Three Sahashri is a two-player cooperative card game that's asymmetric and it's like pretty puzzly and thinky. But like both of them have, I think people tend to be turned off by games with anime art, even if it's not like fan service anime art, (laughs) because these ones aren't the ones with fan service. (laughs) And then I guess also they're kind of hard to learn games both both tragedy looper and their evens of three sahashri the rule books aren't great and they're hard to learn so so maybe they're kind of hard to get into but i really like those games and i get excited whenever i see someone else mention them because they aren't mentioned that often 
So yeah, some of my favorite games, and I've mentioned them a lot, but not many other people do. (laughs) Yeah, I will. I'm not even going to give descriptions. I'll just run through Mm -hmm. the rest of the titles on my list. (laughs) Queens, to be or not to be, where B is spelled like the insect. Ouch, with an exclamation mark at the end. Synchronized, rail pass, last message, shipwreck arcana, Mm -hmm. adventureland, and trellis. Those are all the games that I have on my list that I think are not talked about enough that people should check out. So if you're curious for something new, use one of those. And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, boardgameblitz.com, for more content and links. This episode was sponsored by Great Box Games. Two new small box games set in the world of Midgard are coming to Kickstarter soon. Stay tuned for updates about Clans of Midgard and Reavers of Midgard, the card game. Plus, don't forget that as a Blitzketeer, you can get 10% off your entire order at grayfoxgames.com, including promos, exclusives, and upgrades not available anywhere else by using the code BGBLITZ2023 at checkout. Join the Blitzketeer community on Discord for game nights, discussions, and more by following the link in the show notes. Support the show by leaving us a rating and review on iTunes or Spotify. And if you like us a lot and want to support us monetarily and get some cool perks, check out our Kofi at ko-fi.com slash boardgameblitz today. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Morrow. Until next time, all the nerdy gamers, all the nerdy gamers, all the nerdy gamers, and put yourselves up. Bye, everyone. Bye. Stay tuned for updated. Wait, stay tuned for updates, right? Oh, sorry. Yep, that's a typo. (laughs) That's why it's underlined in In Google. Okay. Then we talk about games that we... (laughs) I just forgot the rest of the sentence. <laughs> we talk about ah. games that we think. Oh, man. Oh, no. Okay, that sentence just ended suddenly. Okay. <laughs>